1: Brother Russ, again, for allowing us to come. It's such a blessing to be here at North Valley Baptist Church. Heard about your ministry for so many years. I've been saved for 24 years, and I got saved on July of 1994, and then two months after a college football scholarship, two months after that I went straight to Bible college, and I heard your pastor preach a couple times as a young 19, 18, 19, 20-year-old man, and uh, just never dreamed I'd be able to stand in this man's pulpit. And I said this morning, for those that weren't here, your pastor has an incredible, impeccable reputation across this country, and I'm so thankful that I meet people all the time. I've spent many weeks this summer, I just got a text from Matt White, he's watching online, and we all know Matt White needs preaching, that's for sure, and uh, so he texted me and said, I'm watching you now, and, and uh, you know, I was thinking about so many people, Stephen Russ and, and uh, Donald Savini, oh wow, God help us, you know, if you've never, if you've never met Donald Savini, um, You'll you'll never forget him, that's for sure. Uh, Stephen Miller, you know, a, a lot of young youth pastors that have great youth groups that I have the privilege of spending uh, weeks throughout the summer at different camps and conferences because of the impact of this place. And I just thank God for your pastor and for his faithfulness. And I, I say this respectfully, I, obviously. He started this church the year I was born, 1975. That's amazing. You know, you just don't see that. You don't see someone that goes and stays somewhere that long and Boy, I admire you, Brother Trevor, so much, and your precious family, and what a blessing it is. I appreciate Brother Russ, too, what a dear friend he's become. I love the Russ family. I know them all well, and I thank God for their family. Great testimony of God's grace and how you can have three generations deep serving God. Amen? And I praise the Lord for that. But y'all got a great thing going here, and I'm excited and honored to be a part, and uh, so praise the Lord for that. Let me just say a couple things about the deaf ministry. I don't preach very long, uh, but I do want to just mention a few things again. I mentioned them briefly this morning, we're a little bit more on a time crunch, but uh, I mentioned this morning that right now, globally, they are the third most unreached people group in the world, deaf people are, and uh, the in America, they're the number one most unreached people group, and so there's a great need to reach deaf people, and so I was thrilled, I did a little homework out on your website, and I was thrilled to see that you actually advertise ASL interpreter provided, and I appreciate meeting the interpreters tonight, and I appreciate them having a heart for deaf people. For those that don't know, I was born into a home with deaf parents. My grandparents were deaf. My great grandparents were deaf. My sister's deaf. My niece is deaf. So we have five generations of deafness in our home. We had so much deafness, we even had a deaf dog growing up. And uh, that is a true story. And he knew about eight signs. He knew more signs than most of you know, so don't make fun of him. And uh, I oftentimes say this it was tragic. He got hit by a car because he didn't hear the horn blowing. All right, let's go ahead and get out of the way. How many animal lovers do we have in here? Animal lovers? I love animals too, right next to my mashed potatoes and green beans. I'm just saying. I just, I can resist that. Amen. So, praise the Lord. And it's glad to have my in laws watching right now. My mother and father in law are watching online in the state of Pennsylvania right now. And uh, it's 10 o'clock there, so they're up past their bedtime. And so I bet my mother. Actually, they might have tuned out. They're like they listen to my daughter and wife. My daughters and wife sing here, Brother But Now that Randy's on, they probably just tuned me out. But I appreciate my mother and father-in-law. Same church they've been attending. They've been married for 54 years. Uh, they, I think, they were Noah's first wedding when he got off the ark, and and uh, they've been married for all that 54 years in the same church for 45, I believe, plus years, close to 50. And all five of their kids are serving the Lord in church somewhere. And they've got grandkids and great-grandkids even. And I praise the Lord for my mother and father that are watching online. And I love you, Mom and Dad, and praise the Lord for that. Mark chapter 7 is where we'll be this evening. All right, teenagers, where are you at? There's going to be a camp this week. Teenagers are going to be at camp. Raise your hand. Actually, stand up real quick. I want to see all of you teenagers at camp. Praise the Lord. I'm excited about being with you all this week. This message is for everybody, but it'll also be a good camp prep message. We're going to get things going, uh, get us geared up for camp. And it's a little bit after 7. We should be done in about 25, 30 minutes. I don't want to keep you too long. and, And thank you. You may be seated. I love camp. I've been in camp all summer long. I mentioned this morning, I think I've only spent three nights in my bed on a Monday night since the middle of May until now. And obviously, tomorrow night, I won't be in my own bed. I'll be in a camp uh, somewhere. And I thank the Lord for that. I was just looking at some of the stats. The first week of camp this summer, 32 saved. The next week, 33 saved. The week after that, 36 saved. Um, and then the biggest thing that's been exciting is a lot of young men have been getting called to preach this summer. In one week, we had a 60 young men surrender to preach. Another week, we had 20 plus. And so God's working across this country. And there is hope for America no matter what they say. Amen. We can still see revival, and God is good. All right? If you're able to, let's stand and stretch our legs and look at Mark chapter 7 in honor of God's word. And I thank you so much for being here. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here. Tell your neighbor, I'm glad I'm saved. And I'm glad I don't look like you. Amen. (laughs) I know I did that this morning, but we have people in here that were not here this morning, so don't mind me. And again, Brother Treber, thank you so much, you and your family and your wife. What a blessing it is legend of the ministry, and I appreciate his faithfulness. Let's look at verse number 32 of Mark chapter 7, and I love this story, and I'll give you the title in just a little while, but let's begin reading in verse 32. The Bible says this, and they bring unto him one that was, next word, yes, a deaf man, a story about a deaf man, and had an impediment in his speech, and they beseech him to put his hand upon him, and he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers into his ears, and he spit... And touched his tongue and looking up to heaven, he sighed and saith unto him, that is, be opened." I'm not sorry, I'm not good at pronouncing all those words. And straightway his ears were open and the string of his tongue was loosed and he spake plain. Heavenly Father, I ask you today to speak to our hearts. Thank you for this service this evening. My oh my how the song service has blessed my heart already. Lord, I pray that you would just do a stirring. Thank you for the souls that were saved this morning here, there, and all over this world, really, Lord. Mission works, and just souls got saved. And, Lord, I pray for camp this week. I, I thank you for the fact that I get to revel and appreciate in the blessings of a man's faithfulness all these years, Brother Treber. Bless this church in a special way. Lord, tonight, if somebody's not saved, save that precious soul in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. I want to get right to the message for tonight. I, um, I was looking at this message, and, of course... As you study the Gospels, you'll see most of Jesus' miracles were performed in front of masses of people. And this one's a very unique one. Jesus pulls the deaf man aside from the multitude. He takes him away from the crowd, and he spends some time with him one-on-one. And my father, who is deaf, and my father has a bachelor's degree and two master's degrees. has been a, an educator in the deaf field for so many years. In fact... He taught at the rival deaf school of California School for the Deaf at Fremont and California School for the Deaf at Riverside, which means I lived in California many years ago when I was younger, and My dad was a teacher there, and and, uh, he's been an educator and a professor. He's worked in the the deaf field all his life. So I've grown up around it, not just because they were deaf, but I lived in the deaf world because of all the deaf activities. And my dad was also well-known for performances and plays and skits, and he was invited to do a lot of those kinds of things, obviously in the more secular realm. And and I'm thankful for an incredible dad who taught me a lot of things. And my dad, he thinks that the reason Jesus pulled him aside from the multitude is because Jesus used sign language in this passage. We don't know that. We don't know. But the fact is, Jesus Christ does something interesting here, more different than he does in all the other gospel miracles, where he pulled someone aside from the multitude. We don't really know why. But then he does some things. And by the way, if you study the gospels, and if you, actually, let's just be honest tonight, you study the Bible, how many agree with me? And I say this respectfully, God does some weird things in the Bible. Can you raise your hand if you agree with me on that? Sometimes you read, I mean, I just finished reading Isaiah, and I'm in Jeremiah right now. Boy, when you get into Ezekiel, you know, and all these different prophets and minor prophets, sometimes you scratch your head like, man, what was God thinking when he told him to do that? or what was God thinking when he does that? And in this particular passage, this group of people bring this deaf man to Jesus Christ, and they, they say, we know Jesus can help this deaf man, and they bring him up to him, and Jesus right away gets right up into his personal space, his personal space. That's the title of the message tonight is Jesus in Your Personal Space. And if you study the Gospels, you'll be amazed. And by the way, teenagers, if you're gonna get the most you can get out of camp this week, you've gotta let them get in your personal space. I think we live in a day and age where many Americans want Jesus in our churches, but not in our pulpits. We want Jesus in our homes, but not necessarily in the same room as we are in. We want them to be aware we have social media, but we want them monitoring our social media. See, I've been pastoring the same church for 20 years this past May, and, and, uh, and uh, we, we, the Lord blessed. We got there. 28 people voted in, and, and the church just exploded, and it grew and grew and grew, and we eventually had to build a new building, and when the architect finished the building, he told me that it would hold about six to 700 Americans, six to 700 people, and as we've been in that building for several years now, there is no way it would hold six to 700 Americans. Can I get an amen right there? For two reasons. One, Americans are typically a little bit bigger than most of the world. Cause we love our American food and all that good stuff. But number two, let's be honest, Americans like their personal space. You go to the average Baptist church in America nowadays, and a lot of times the husband sits here. He's got like a songbook here. The wife's here. Her purse is there. Sometimes looks like a suitcase is right there, and then the kids are there. And, I mean, a family of four will take up a whole pew of 20 feet, right? And, and we like our personal space, and we don't always want people being in that personal space. And all of us know people, and I hope I'm not offending anybody tonight, but we know people that like to get in your personal space. And if you ever notice, people that like to get in your personal space always have bad breath. Can I get an amen right there? I've learned many years ago, Brother Tree, the power of the pew to avoid the Pew, amen. And so if someone comes to me and I know I'll slide into the pew and they have to go in the pew and I can lean back and the pew keeps them from getting in too close to me as they talk to me. Bible Baptist Church members just learned my secret right there, and I'm gonna be in trouble now. But one of the things I love to do, I, I fly a lot. I travel a lot, and, and we flew, my wife and me and my daughters flew from uh, St. Louis to Los Angeles and then changed planes and came up here, and we flew Southwest. How many fly Southwest before? Southwest is my favorite way to fly. Bags are free, and uh, they have a lot of fun on those planes. And, and, uh, and so <coughs> when I fly Southwest, if you know anything about Southwest, you don't have assigned seating. You sit wherever you want on the plane. So you want to be in the A or B class because if you're in the C class, you're going to sit in the middle. And I've never, I've boarded many, many dozens and dozens of Southwest flights, and I've never seen anybody go straight to the middle seat and sit there. Because I believe if they did, they'd be escorted off and checked into a psych ward because that's not normal. The first seats that go are the window seat and the aisle seat because nobody wants to sit in the middle and they hope (coughs) that it's not a full flight. And if it's not a full flight, then they hope that middle seat stays open. I like to play a game, Brother Treeper. Sometimes as I'm walking onto the plane, I'll see you, and I'll see in the middle seat, and people are there, and the middle seat's open, and I'll act like I'm thinking about that middle seat. I'll just look at it, and both of them just have like a look of terror on their face. Like, no, not the big boy. Not the big man. No, not him. And I'll just like tease like I'm thinking about going to that seat, and then I move on. My daughters, my, my kids will say, Dad, let's play the game sometimes, and they fly with me, and, and they'll watch me, and I'll just tease people and scare them like that. And as I pass, you can almost hear a sigh of relief like, Oh, thank God, not the big boy, man. And by the way, can I just say this, airlines, please make the seats a little bit bigger for men like me. Can I get an amen right there? When you're over six feet tall and six feet wide, come on, help me now. All right? But the fact is we don't don't like people to be in our personal space. We just don't, including Jesus. But you understand something today? This deaf man does something very, 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 very strange. He allows Jesus Christ to do whatever he wanted to him. And because he let him do that, he left a changed person. If he would have protested at any given moment in this message or in this miracle, he would have walked away a deaf man and still with an impediment in his speech. But because he let Jesus get in his personal space and because he let Jesus do whatever he wanted to do to him, a miracle took place. Don't you notice what the Bible says here, okay? Sometimes I illustrate it by calling two people up, but you'll get the point here. Watch what the Bible says here again. I'll give you a couple applications and I'll be done. Verse 33, he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers into his ears. Well, that makes sense because he's deaf, but hey, we know Jesus is powerful enough to just... I mean, he spoke the world into existence in six days, and he's a miracle-working God with the power of his tongue. But the Bible says he literally gave this deaf guy a wet willy. Somebody say amen right there. <laughs> I mean, you don't see that. We spent all day Friday in San Francisco, and we saw some weird things. But can I tell you something? We didn't see anybody walking around putting their finger in people's ears. But that's not all. Watch what else the Bible says. Stay with me, look at verse number 33. And he took him aside with the multitude, put his fingers in his ears, and he spit he spit now most scholars believe when he spit that means he spit on the man he probably spit in his direction he may have spray spit it. he may have even i don't know what kind of spit he did but somehow the spit got under the man's body now i don't know about you but most men get spit on them's fighting right there. i mean you about to fight right there you just don't spit and then come on now the bible goes even more weird and says he touched his tongue now, I mean, he did not touch your tongue like that. I mean, I'm touching my own tongue at least, but you touch somebody else's tongue, something wrong with that. Did you understand what I said? It's kind of like being in a dentist's office, right, when they put their fingers in your mouth talking to you. Hey, how you doing today? And they understand me, I'm miraculous, you know. But, I mean, he touched his tongue. Most people don't even touch their own tongue, but Jesus touches a complete stranger's tongue, although this man is not a stranger to Jesus. So tonight I want to ask you this question, my friend. Is Jesus in your personal space? Teenagers, all of us buildings, you head into camp. You really want revival. You really want camp. You really want God to do something miraculous this week. You got to let Jesus get in your personal space. Our country was a great country when our government let Jesus get in their personal space. Our churches had the power of God when Jesus got up in their personal space. Our homes were strong and foundational when Jesus got up in their personal space. Our men, our fathers, our husbands were strong leaders. Hey, can I tell you something? When someone gets in your personal space, it is uncomfortable. It is challenging. It doesn't always feel good. But bless God, when Jesus gets in your personal space, you will leave a different person than you can. So there's got to be some applications to this, and I want to give you a few of them, and I'll be done. I'll give you five quick applications, and I'll be done. Number one, I want you to notice that he took him aside from the multitude. Look at verse 32 again. And they bring him to the one that was deaf, and he was a like, pet him in his speech, and they beseech him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude, and he took him aside from the multitude. I love this pulpit, by the way, Brother Treeper. This is awesome. If I could fit this in my bag, I'd take it home. I mean, that's awesome. He took him aside. Oh, by the way, I have very serious ADHD. Squirrel. You know I mean? It's bad. But he took him aside from the multitude. Can I tell you what the application of that is? Here it is. You ready for this? And by the way, we've gotten over this, church. But listen to this. The creator of the universe wants to spend time with you and me. He desires a one-on-one relationship with you and with me. Can I bless the Lord for that? Somebody called me the other day, Brother Treber, and he, she asked me a question, a counseling question. She said, Brother Randy, why in the world did God spend nine chapters in Chronicles naming all these people? And I recall the day I heard a preacher preach how when God created this universe in six days, he mentioned it in one chapter and moved on. But when he talks about the lineage of Israel, he spends nine chapters naming names that we can't even pronounce. You know why? Because your name is always going to be more important to the God of this universe than the sun, the moon, and the stars. Somebody say amen right there aren't you glad he knows your name I'm glad he knows my name I thank God when I called out to him this morning I didn't have to go through some red tape I didn't have to check in my social security number I didn't have to get my mother's maiden name I didn't have to clear it with a secretary I didn't have to set up an appointment when I said Jesus he said I'm here son when I confessed my sin he forgave me when I talked to him he listened to me when I told him I loved him he said I loved you first oh bless God he wants a one on one relationship with you People ask me sometimes, Brother what what is it like pastoring 20 years? What's one of the hardest things of pastoring 20 years? And I said, Brother Treber, convincing God's people that he loves them. He said, what's the hardest thing about being a Christian? Believing that God loves us. But let's go ahead and say it tonight. God loves us. He desires a one-on-one relationship with you and me. And he doesn't look at how successful you are. He doesn't look at how beautiful or not beautiful we are. He doesn't look at our talents or not. He knows because he made us today, my friend. But God wants a relationship with you. That's the first application. Number two, I love this one. He put his fingers into his ears. He put his fingers into his ears. Verse 33. He took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers into his ears. What's the application there? Here's the application tonight, church. He's got some things worth listening to. He had to clean his ears out. Let me tell you something today, we need to get our ears cleaned out again in America. We are so, so, so full of noise. The devil loves noise. I just preached in Louisville, Kentucky two weeks ago at the Shawnee Youth Conference, and one of the other speakers made a great statement. He says, it's amazing how cell phone dependent we are nowadays. We'll be sitting there reading our Bible in the morning, but our cell phone dings, and we will ignore the creator of the universe because the cell phone went ding, ding. Help me now. And he challenged us to to make sure that we listen to what God has to say that Bible you hold in your lap is the most miraculous book ever written in mankind's history that Bible is God's way of speaking to us and America was a great country when American people listened to God can I tell you something God is right on the subject of marriage God is right on the subject of holiness God is right on the subject of of government and, and finances and how we treat people and God is right about everything the problem is most Americans today are so full of noise they don't hear the voice of God anymore he put his fingers into his ears because he's trying to clean them out in church tonight he's got some things worth listening to my friend the devil tries to lie to us but the truth is this God loves you God cares for you God's forgiven us God restores us God wants to help us and sometimes we listen to the devil more than we listen to God I preached a message a long time ago called the only time the devil tells the truth did you know the devil tells the truth one time. The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. He's not gonna falsely accuse a Christian. He falls he accuses of the truth. He's never come to me and said, Randy, you remember the time you robbed that bank? Because I have not robbed a bank yet. Not yet. That's a possibility someday, man. I'm a Baptist preacher, but no, I'm just kidding. But the devil comes and he accuses us, and when he accuses us, when he points his fingers, you better believe he's going to tell the truth. But can I tell you something today? When the devil accuses me of my past, I can worry about this, nothing. I don't have to worry about the past because God says, I've got you. I took care of that at the cross, and I'm more interested in your future. Hallelujah. I heard a preacher say this one time, Brother Treeberry he said, The devil loves to talk in past tense, but God talks in future tense. Somebody say amen right there. So number one, he took him aside from the multitude because he wants a one-on-one relationship. Number two, he f- put his fingers in his ears because there's some things he wants us to hear. Number three, real quickly, the Bible says this. He spit. He spit. The Bible actually says he spit. Look at verse 33. The Bible says, And he took his side from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears, and he spit. And He spit what's that got to do with anything? let me tell you here's, here's the application we make tonight there's a lot of things within Jesus that need to come out and get inside of us let's back up in the same chapter and read a few verses real quickly go to Mark chapter 7 real quickly stay with me now here we go and look at verse number let's look at verse number tw- uh, 20 the passage the context here is the Pharisees have just gotten upset or offended at the disciples because they ate without washing their hands And so Jesus sets him straight in verse number 20. And he said, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. And may I say to you, that list of things is what we are made of. We are wretched. We are vile. We are wicked. We deserve hell tonight. Thank God I'm saved. The only good thing about Randy Dingan is that the Holy Ghost of God indwells me. And I thank God that I'm saved. And all that comes from within a man is vile. And Jesus tells those Pharisees, you worried about the dirty hands, but I'm worried about the dirty souls of these men, the dirty wickedness. But can I tell you something? Everything inside of Jesus Christ was perfect and holy and pure and righteous. He had nothing that was on that list. He's the perfect, clear, pure, darling Son of God. Somebody say amen right there. And I thank God that what Jesus had inside of him can come out inside of us. I want his compassion. I want his love. I want his mercy. But bless God most of all, I thank God that those beautiful pure blood that flowed through his veins, hey, it came out of his body and was put under my sin account and I'm never going to touch hell. I'm a child of the king. I've been washed in the blood. I'm going to heaven someday. God is my father. Jesus is my savior. Holy Ghost is my comforter. Bible is my book. Heaven is my home and the rapture is my hope. The blood of Jesus still saves. The blood of Jesus still redeems. The blood of Jesus still purifies. Thank God for the blood. It flowed through his veins and now flows in my life. Thank God. what? Thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ. Bless his name. Take it, Jesus. Whatever's inside of you, I want inside of me. Bless God for that tonight. He pulled him aside from the multitude one-on-one. Put his fingers in his ears because there's some things he has and wants us to hear. He spits because there's things inside of him we need to get inside of us. Number four, he touched his tongue. He touched his tongue. That's weird. Let's be honest. But there's an application to be made here. Here's the application, my friend. Verse 33, And he took him aside from the multitude, put his fingers in his ears, and he spit and touched his tongue. Up to this point, Jesus has done everything. But now he's challenging us to use our tongue for the glory of God. And I tell the deaf to use your hands for the glory of God. You see, here's, my, here's the deal, my friend. God wants us to use our tongue for Him. It's time to talk about Jesus. It's time to sing about Jesus. It's time to testify about Jesus. But the truth, I was thrilled the other day. I was talking to my daughters. They said, Daddy, what are you going to preach this week at camp? I said, well, you're probably going to hear a lot of old ones that I haven't preached because this is like new country for me. In the Midwest and in the South. I've got to be careful because I preach the same people a I've got to come up with new messages. But all this California folk are fresh meat. I mean, unless you've been online, you know, that's your problem, okay? But you never heard me preaching in a person, right? And I said, boy, I just really want to preach Jesus. And I, one of my daughters said, Daddy, you always preach Jesus. And I got so excited that my daughters think daddy. Because can I tell you something? There's no greater subject than to preach Jesus. There's nobody better to sing about than Jesus. There's nobody better to testify about than Jesus. There's nobody better uh, worthy of paying attention to and giving a shout out than Jesus. Hey, we live in a day and age where people in this world are obsessed with celebrities, obsessed with famous people, obsessed with people that can do things we can't do. But can I tell you something tonight? Let's talk about Jesus, the King of King says he, Hallelujah. I oftentimes say that that's America's problem today. We are obsessed with people who can do things we can't do. You ever thought about that? Here's a man, he puts on silk pajamas, he doesn't know how to chew a mouthpiece, and he shoots good three pointers. I'm talking about Steph Curry. Where's the Steph Curry fans in here? All right, all right. I would for you old timers, I would love to have seen him drive the paint against the Detroit bad boy Pistons. I'm just saying that, okay, but anyway and we say, oh, you're amazing, or LeBron James, you're amazing, you can take a ball and put it in a garbage can hanging 10 feet high from the ceiling, from the sky, from the ground, here's $20 million. Well, here's another guy, right? He squeezes into tight pants, put on shoulder pads, deflates footballs. I know we got a Tom Brady fan in the house, where you at, Korea? There he is, I know. I knew it. I've been with him at teen camp up in the Northeast. That young man right there was running around camp with a Tom Brady jersey, painted face, and a T-shirt that said, Free Tom Brady. Somebody help that man right there, amen. But we say, you're amazing. You wear these tight pants and put on these pads, and you run out on this football field. Here's 20 more million dollars. Stay with me now. And then, the worst of them all, and they're not that far from me. They're about six hours south of here. You are so good at being fake. You are the fakest person on the planet. You read a script so good. You're the best actor and actress. Here's $20 more million. Help me now. And we get so impressed. We roll up the red carpet for these athletes and actors and actresses. And you know what I've learned? They get old, their knees get rickety, they have to quit, their back goes out. Last I read, Joe Montana takes multiple pain pills every day. He can't throw like he used to. He walks around with a limp. His body's beat up. Michael Jordan can't play anymore. But I'm talking about a God who's never been sick. He's never said oops. He's never said uh uh-oh. He's never had to send an angel down to Walgreens to fill a prescription because he's nervous about something. He's the king of kings. He's the lord of lords. He walked on water. He made the water. He raised the dead. He fed the multitude. He's never been tired. He is God. And somebody, help me now. Somebody, help me now. Somebody needs to talk about God. Somebody needs to talk about God. Let's use that tongue for the glory of God, man. Come on, I love sports like everybody else. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus, the King of kings, is he? Lord of lords. Praise God for that. Number five, and I'm done. Number one, he took him aside from the multitude, the application. He wants a one-on-one relationship. Number two, he put his fingers in his ears because there's something he wants us to hear. Number three, he spit because there's things inside of him we need to get inside of us. Number four, he touch his tongue because he wants us to talk and testify, signify, preachify about him. Five, number five, and I'm He preaches a two-word sermon. That's it. You know, I I preach with a lot of long-winded preachers in America. A lot of them. And if they happen to hear this message, I pray for you, brothers. But sometimes they just need to land that airplane. Can I get an amen right there? I mean, some preachers will say, I'm coming in for landing, and then they circle for 30 more minutes. Can I get an amen right there? I preach with a lot of these guys. I love these guys. I could start naming names, but I won't. And I tease them all the time. I preach to a lot of these guys across the country. You notice a lot of Jesus' sermons are pretty short and to the point. Here's a two-word sermon, be open. That's all he says. Here's the application, and I'm done. When I was growing up, nowadays everything's technology, and you can see it online and stuff. When I was growing up, there was a simple sign that places of business would hold in front of the door, hang on the front of the door. One side said open, and one side said closed. And when you saw the closed side, you ain't getting in. You wanted the ice cream cone, but it said closed, you ain't getting the ice cream cone. Because you only get in when the, the sign said open. Let me tell you what Christians do, and here's what we do at teen camps. I see it all the time, with the Trevor. We turn the sign to open. Okay, I'm going to camp. That's great. I'll, I'll respond. I'll go forward. I'll give up this. I'll give up that. But two weeks later, we turn the sign around. And when Jesus comes back to our personal space, we said, I'm closed right now. You know what I've learned about Jesus? He's the perfect gentleman. He never forces himself upon anybody. He never forced you to get saved. He didn't force you to come to church tonight. In fact, Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 says this, and we use it a lot for sowing, and that's fine for application, but doctrine. he's not talking to the sinner when he knocks on the door, he's talking to the church. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my knock, no, actually, that's not what it says. If any man hear my voice, I will come into him, sup with him, and he with me. You see, Jesus wants to know if you're open for business. See, we, we say we want revival, and we sing we want revival. But most of us aren't willing to be open enough for revival. So, what we need to do is take that sign and flip it to that closed sign and paint open and on both sides. That way, no matter what we do, we flip the sign around, it always says open. Because let me be honest with you. When Jesus gets you in a personal space, it's going to be uncomfortable sometimes. He might talk to you about how you're dressing. He might talk to you about what you're listening to. He might talk to you about what you've been talking about. Gossip, Oh, it happens a lot in a church. Woo, Christians love the gossip. Now, come on, help me now. I mean, the Bible has some things about that, right? Isaiah 6. He, I, I, I had the, the, the lips of, a, of an unclean people, and, and Isaiah had to get his, his lips touched by the power of God, and James 3 says, can bitter and sweet waters come out of the same fountain? And We live in a generation where people thrive on negativity. I just read a book the other day called The Happiness Advantage that said right now in America, for every one positive experience American has, there's 17 negative experiences, and I thought there's something wrong with that. Life's too short. God's been too good. Hey, I don't want to hear the negative talk. Oh, I know people get on Twitter and Facebook and want to criticize and say bad things about this preacher and that preacher. I'm not interested. Hey, God's been too good to me. He saved my soul. I'm never going to touch hell. I'm going to heaven someday. God, hey, help me now. Come into my personal space. It might be uncomfortable. I may have to change some things, but it will be worth it. Hallelujah. Because this deaf man left. For the first time in his life, he heard somebody's voice. For the first time in his life, he heard a bird sing by the tree bird. For the first time in his life, he heard his mom and daddy's voice, and a miracle took place because he let Jesus in his personal space. Is Jesus in our personal space tonight?
0: Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treiber.